Hello and welcome to you. I'm Kirshni Totram, Global Head of Institutional Business at Coronation. I'm joined today by Peter Lejeur, Head of Coronation's Global Frontiers Investment Unit, to talk about the opportunities and some of the challenges that comes with investing in frontier markets. Now, Pete, to get started, let's get some background for the audience. How does one define frontier markets and what are some of the key characteristics that they share? Thanks, Kirshni. Um, I think frontiers, it's, it's the, the raw end of emerging markets. So it's your, your less developed emerging market side of things, which still leaves it pretty broad as a, as a classification. I mean, we, I think the simplest way for the layman is to think of it as countries where it's very unlikely to find um, a McDonald's, a Starbucks, or any of the, the great franchise names that you know. These are markets where they're at the very early end of starting to to grow and develop and to move up the the consumption scale um it does come with with a, as i said a, a level of rawness to it um so you know while there's some great opportunities you also have to be uh, fairly prepared for for surprises um but you know it's if you look at the universe out there you know, 20% of, of the people who we share the planet with um, live in these markets, and they account for less than 2% of our global market cap. So it's still a, a very untapped market. And still early days in, in terms of the emergence of those economies. But let's face it, if you look at the headlines that many of these countries have, so whether it's in Egypt, Nigeria, Iran, it's it would scare most investors away. So you've been doing this for more than nine years now. Tell me about some of the experience and why you think that investors should be looking at frontier markets as opposed to just developed or emerging. And your point around headlines is, is a fascinating one. And I think historically that's been the case. But I mean, increasingly every morning that we wake up now, be it developed, emerging or frontier, the headlines are, are equally terrifying. Um, the difference being is if you're invested in developed markets and emerging markets, you have somewhat anxiety inducing headlines with very high ratings and mature growth in frontier markets you have far less of that rating risk. So we're still finding very, very cheap and attractive investment opportunities that are growing strongly. And the the macro is far less of an issue. And and, and you've learned to live with a a fairly challenging political environment. and there are many examples of this. And, and you know, what, what amazes us, if you look at the size of these countries and frontiers, the size of the businesses that are servicing these markets are still minute on a relative basis. You know, I can rattle off a number of stats. I mean, people don't appreciate, like Pakistan has just gone through the 200 million people um, in terms of population, yet there's still many businesses there that are quite small and growing rapidly. Um, Bangladesh, which I've just come back from, that's 180 million odd. Um, and again, you battle to find a business with a market cap over a billion dollars. So very small businesses servicing massive markets. And yes, political headlines can be, can be quite disturbing. But the impact of those on the markets are actually far less. Um, there's no doubt if you look at the frontier markets, investors have shied away from looking at these companies that you say offer great opportunity because still a small number of businesses serving, servicing huge elements of the population. Um, 
we know that they're not well covered, unlike the developed market peers, where there's a huge amount of the investment universe with the investor mindset that focuses their attention on it, goes through detailed analysis, covers every news headline that comes out. That's not the case in frontier markets. How do you go about finding the businesses that are good but still represent attractive investment opportunities? Ultimately, the only way to really do that is to f- end up being on the ground. And there's a there's a fair amount of work that you can do beforehand. Um, you know, the likes of a Bloomberg, local brokers. There's a steady and decent information stream from that. But to get a true sense of valuation and opportunity, you want to be in country and you want to meet with the businesses. The great thing about frontier markets is that you're a complete novelty often when you arrive. I mean, Pakistan in 2014, when we went, we literally were the only two Westerners on the aeroplane when we landed. Made it very easy for the guy meeting us to pick us up because, I mean, you, you didn't need a name board. Uh, to be fair, Pete, you're like six feet. <laughs> <laughs> Which also helps. It also helps. Um, and in terms of the meetings that we had, you know, these are first generation businesses, you know, sometimes it's, it's, it's second generation, but it's still within the family in terms of the main shareholder. And it's such a privilege to have access to a chairman who's built up an empire, literally, who is just as interested in meeting you as you are with them. And they love talking about their businesses and what they're doing. If you have a meeting in some of the bigger emerging markets, you're lucky to get the head of investor relations. You never get to see um, the top management unless you're a very, very large investor. And, you know, we, we're still a small global frontier fund. We've, we've only been um, really funding on, on seed at this stage. That's it, made absolutely no difference in terms of the access that we get. And the opportunity of, of being able to then sit and throw around ideas and debate the markets that you know someone is trading in, how they go about their, their business and the strategies that they're deploying with the privilege of having looked at these markets now for a decade. Um, it's, 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 it's an incredible opportunity and it does translate into investment opportunities for us. So let's talk about some of those investment opportunities. Just in broad strokes, what do you look for? What attracts you about some of these businesses? What are the key things that you look for in businesses as an initial filter, as it were, to before you start to get excited? So in terms of how Coronation looks at businesses, I mean, there are, there, you know, there's a, a sense of, of history and DNA in terms of how we approach valuing businesses. And there are certain businesses that stand out that are much easier to generate returns from than others and also much easier to assess in terms of quality and reliability of of information. Now, consumer businesses on the whole are a lot easier for us to assess. We have great history in terms of looking at other businesses and, you know, what is an appropriate level of profitability, you know, what would be an excessive profit umbrella that they might be operating under. We always worry about that because increasingly there's no shortage of smart people in the world and there's no shortage of capital. And if you're making too much money, it attracts bees to the honey in no time and and, and other um, very clever people do get involved. But 
if you look at what what is in our portfolio today, I mean, there are a couple of of sectors that that are overrepresented versus something like a, an MSCI index. Um, we tend to go for consumer-facing businesses, be they brewers. There's a fair amount of tobacco, um, which you know not not everyone necessarily agrees with. But again, you know, these are countries where WHO rules are applied. Individuals get to choose what and how they want to live their life, and Cigarette smoking and having a beer is is part of that. The other sector that that's very attractive for us is mobile, um, and mobile in frontier markets is fascinating to look at. You know, you don't have any of the legacy fixed line um, investments that you have to worry about, and so you've got in, you've got people and populations going from zero connectivity to a very high degree of connectivity and 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 very um, entrepreneurial adoption thereof, um, and and through that individuals are empowered economically, and it becomes a far more integral part of life than what it would be in a developed market. Secondary to that is mobile money. In most developed and emerging markets, mobile money has been a, a secondary or a, you know the ugly sister to conventional banking. You know, we've got examples in Kenya, for example, which I think is now a world leader in terms of mobile money and innovation. And these are countries now where they haven't worried about the legacy uh, costs around a, a banking and branch infrastructure. And you've got massive adoption and use of mobile money, which... Is facilitating the velocity of money in economies and transactions. We found a very similar business in Bangladesh now, um, Brack Bank, which has a, a product B Cash, and it's an exact copy of where we saw a Safaricom with Impesa uh, a couple of years ago. I mean, they obviously there's always some differences, but if you look at the uptake, one company dominating, you know, these aren't things that it's a bit like Google. You you have one gorilla that that owns the space, and if you can find that gorilla and back it. You know the the investment opportunity is vast, I and mean, we, we're talking about a, a ten bagger plus type of opportunity. So, so P, what I'm hearing is some really exciting opportunities, and and you can see it, especially if you use the Mpesa example of Kenya, and you can find those great opportunities um, across other countries. But how do you get how do you get any comfort around the governance issues? Because frontier markets are renowned, or have a maybe we should use the the better word they have a a bad reputation for having poorer governance than the developed market counterparts. How do you get um, comfort around the governance? How do you get comfort around shareholder friendliness? Um, and the fact that management teams will act in the best interest of uh, minority shareholders. So governance is and will, I think, remain an issue for some time. Um, what what does help us is that these are fairly simple businesses. We're not dealing with businesses with complicated structures with a number of subsidiaries and you're trying to reconcile how everything fits together. So if you do channel checks, if you check with competitors, if you spend time on the ground, there's some basic mosaic information that you can collate and, and that makes all the difference. I mean, even something like, like Bcash, you know, when we were in, in Bangladesh, we would speak to, to other banks and we would ask the individuals that we spoke to, do they as individuals use Bcash? And reluctantly they would say yes, because they had staff they needed to pay or there were transactions that they needed to pay. And so the fact that the adoption rate was, you know, beyond their own um, direct sphere talks to the fact that, you know, the traction level is extremely high. Um, one of the areas that we do battle with uh, are banks in general. Um, banks, 
are tricky by their by their nature, and so we tend to be very selective in in investing in financial businesses. And we have a small, high conviction cluster of portfolio investments. They tend to have similar traits where. The businesses that they lend into, we feel, are operating at normal profit levels and they're not gouging clients. We also like having parents that can recapitalize if need be or are there to make sure governance is up to the level that we require. Um, and if we, if we have any issues or any concerns around a bank, we just won't go there. So the portfolio tends to be underrepresented in financials as a result. Now, just coming back to um, if I look at our existing portfolio, both on the global frontier side as well as just our Africa frontier portfolio, it looks very different to um, the biggest stocks that are represented in what are your traditional um, indices, flawed indices, but but indices that represent these various markets. And that is a philosophical belief in how we put portfolios together and how we think we can access um, some of the best investment opportunities in these areas. So, So my question to you, is I know you spend a lot of time on the ground um, in these countries. Um, you not only go and visit company management teams, but you spend quite a lot of time trying to understand the culture of the people and just whether the um, rhetoric that surrounds a particular country is um, is in fact um, correct. Um, can you give me some tangible examples of just the type of work that you have to do in order to gain some level of conviction, you, you know, on the different companies and how that's varied? You know, what are the, some of the biggest things you've learned over the last 10 years in looking at frontier markets? So, I mean, Africa has been a, a fantastic learning ground. It's, it's almost been an incubator in many respects. So we've seen very similar themes play out across the world. If you look at Africa today, I mean, for instance, currency and the ability of governments to manage their currencies and transact and keep transacting, f- you know, free and flowing is a big issue. Now, Egypt was a dysfunctional market in the middle of last year. Um, equity prices became incredibly cheap and attractive, and a lot of it was driven around the fact that the Egyptian pound was fixed and pegged and you couldn't transact it and it made it very difficult for corporates to run their businesses. We felt valuations got too cheap. We loaded up on on equities and to our surprise, they did a full flirtation of that currency. So you went from an eight odd Egyptian pound to the dollar and it hit 20, which is incredibly painful um, and it's now around 18. But you now have a normal functioning environment where businesses can transact again and very quickly we're seeing these businesses adapt and and we've now made very good returns from from those investments as equity prices look ahead and are anticipating a a more normal environment. Um, You mentioned earlier in terms of indices and, and the MSCI, I mean, we we understand why institutions like to use indices. It it makes comparing and, and benchmarking a lot easier. The real flaw is that the less liquid and the less developed a market is, the the less an index works because it almost by its nature only starts functioning once companies have grown into a more mature state. So by definition, you miss all that early growth and that's what Frontiers is all about. So if you look at a Frontier index today, it's completely dominated by Vietnam, by Argentina, by Kuwait, 
and by Pakistan. And if you take those markets, it accounts for over 50% of the index. Our portfolio has less than 10% in those countries. And, and why is that? Because if we look at Kuwait today, you know, it doesn't make sense buying into a mature bank, very low growth prospects, just because it happens to be your biggest counter in your index. We feel that that's a lazy use of capital. And our clients will not be buying frontiers to plug benchmark risk. They're buying frontiers because they want to make returns on capital. And that's against a absolute return type mindset. And I think that will keep us a lot more honest. If we're thinking about the loss of capital, that's the right way to think about frontiers. Pete, you've been looking at frontier markets for close to 10 years now. It's a decade. Um, I mean, it's, it's, it's it can be some eye-watering stuff. These are not countries people would naturally go to on vacation. Um, just talk me through some of the actual experiences. What, what have you learned in the last 10 years and what stays with you in terms of those experiences? Sure. Where do you, where do you start? I mean, there's some real basic pragmatic stuff where, you know, never check your luggage into the hold, have as many passports as you possibly can. Um, because the number of times you cancel trips at the last minute because you didn't get the visa on time or, or the like, um, down to being OCD about who's meeting you at the airport with the right name and the right vehicle and knowing where to go because it's, you know, those things, you end up losing two meetings because you've you've not taken care of the detail. So um, you've been part of the Blue Light Brigade in, in Nigeria? Right? In many, many countries. I mean, in fact, the worst, I think the most extreme was is, is in Bangladesh where you can rent a an ambulance and be transported mm-hmm. around in that, which is very effective because I think the highest risk you face is having a car accident. So having an ambulance at the scene is extremely <laughs> useful. Um, but on a more serious note in terms of lessons learned, um, you know, if there's, you know, we, we use the analogy that if, if, if you see a cockroach in the kitchen, the chances are there are many more scurrying about when the lights are off. So, you know, what we mean by that is if you pick up on something that you don't feel comfortable with, no matter how slick the the explanation for that might be take it very seriously um and you know i think we've often allowed ourselves to be more taken by you know the valuation and and, and the potential return and, and then you might overlook one or two small discretions um you shouldn't do that i think you know it's always paramount that governance is is exactly where you need it to be or companies need to be willing to adapt and change and make sure that they do do the right thing. Um, the one thing that, you know, I think you shouldn't take the politics too seriously. I mean, a lot of people in these countries and generally everywhere think about um, politics a lot. And it's it's a great intellectual exercise. But, you know, using a developed market as an, as a, as an example, I mean, today, you know, if I told you six months ago that you know Donald Trump would be the president of the United States, he'd just fired his FBI director, and there was a Russian probe in terms of assisting the election, you know, and I gave you a free option to um, to sell the market at, at the levels they were at, and I think very few people would have filled their boots, and and that would have you know where, where current valuations are, that that would have been the right thing to do. So. Correlating politics to investment returns, extremely difficult to do. And, you know, when you do get that right, I'm not sure you're getting it right for the right reasons. And then patience. I think that's that's the last thing is these businesses are so small and so early in their in their life that, 
you know, we've had businesses where we've tripled our money and we thought, great, super, you know, we've been really clever about this. Let's sell this and now go find something else. There aren't that many great businesses to invest in and you need to allow your your flowers to flourish and grow and, and don't be hasty in terms of reallocating and, and finding other opportunities. Um, you know, I think this is a space where one can do extremely well um, out of a few high conviction companies that you back and know well and, and allow them to, to do all the, the hard pulling and, and, and heavy lifting. So, I mean, you, you touched on something there, one of them being, um, you know, having patience and having high conviction views. I think that one of the key things we've seen in the frontier space, especially in the Africa space over the last decade, is just how um, hubris when these markets are in favor can um, lead investors to building portfolios filled with large stocks, not necessarily valuation driven, and how it can all end in tears. We've steered clear with, of that. We've managed the liquidity of the markets really well. Can you maybe just talk to just what's that been like, just managing uh, portfolios in uh, markets that have actually had huge amounts of cash being thrown at it and then gone to the extreme other end of the spectrum? I'll be honest. I think you know, that that the very point that you've raised there has created one of the biggest challenges that we've had to deal with as as a fund, and this has been specifically in the Africa frontier space. Twenty fourteen witnessed some stellar returns. Um, what had happened was, to some extent, your emerging market valuations became quite full, and emerging market managers were looking to redeploy into frontiers and, and also frontier funds were being launched and marketed aggressively. With that came a lot of money that wasn't as long term as what, what it needed to be and it doesn't take a lot of liquidity in these markets to distort them and to, to have ratings move up significantly. Uh, so we saw that in 2014 and that was on the back of some serious capital having arrived and, and invested in these markets. If you went to conferences they were full of emerging market managers, very well attended, and, and hubris is, is, is exactly the right word. It didn't end well. 2015 was a protracted down period with steady outflows. 2016, a, a repeat of that, and got more complicated with countries finding it difficult to service liquidity on currencies. And so it's a, it was a somewhat toxic combination of, of variables. We're through the worst of that now. Um, the, the hot money, I think, is, is gone. And we've seen some fairly astute investors return and starting to take the, the space seriously again. And that is driving returns to, to some extent. But ultimately, the investment opportunity that we see now for 2017 are a bunch of companies that look very attractively priced, that are operating in markets that are sensible and with decent opportunities and and all they need to do is to get on with with what they're doing um, and share prices will will follow earnings over time you know we feel the downside risk in terms of of capital loss is also significant significantly mitigated given the fact that ratings are, are just so much lower Okay, Pete, I'm going to put you on the spot here. I want you to give me a quick summary of the investment opportunity you're most excited about in the portfolio today. It's like 
forcing somebody to choose their favorite child in a family of five. Um, so there are a few, and look, there's one that's actually been doing very well for us, um, which we still are very positive about. You know, Sri Lanka is, is a big position in the portfolio, and within Sri Lanka, there's one stock that, that we like a lot, and that's Hemas. Um, it's a conglomerate business. Um, it's done incredibly well. It did a rights issue at uh, 40 not so long ago, and it's now trading close to 120. So it's not like it, uh, it hasn't been, been discovered. Um, it's at around 5% of the portfolio. And, and why do we like it? It's got the, the double whammy of being extremely cheap on a, on a rating and having a number of businesses where profitability is well below what it should be. Added to this, you know, there's a business in Bangladesh that's growing strongly where we think if they allocate capital to this, this is a, a phenomenal business which in time could be standalone and, and, and it would be on a, a rating double that of, of the overall company. Um, so you've, you've got this lovely mix of FMCG where it's been well managed on a, on a, on a very astute capital allocation basis. There's, there's healthcare where the hospitals are, are not making much money at the moment but um, there's some very basic things being done to to sort that out and and as mentioned the the Bangladesh consumer opportunity um, these are all phenomenal markets I mean Sri Lanka's 22 million people it's a far more mature consumer market but if you take all that know-how of, of, of how to do business and you you build a distribution business in Bangladesh where as I mentioned earlier 180 million people live you've got many years of growth ahead of you. Thank you very much, Pete. Um, and finally, do you have any closing comments that you'd like to leave the audience with? Thanks, Kirsch. Um, I think the one point I'd love to just to emphasize is when investors think about frontiers and frontier markets as a potential portfolio inclusion, you should think of it along the lines of what you would an alternative investment or almost private equity. We are more liquid. We invest in enlisted um, equities. So it does allow for you to liquidate. But if you look at this space and, and it's something that you check on a very regular basis and you get sucked into the news headlines, it, you, you run the risk of, of, of driving yourself somewhat crazy and chasing your tail. We think most portfolios can hold a small allocation to frontiers, but it should never be large enough that it's going to consume your attention. And if you allow it to do its thing over a number of years, uh, you know we, we feel that it will pleasantly surprise you and, and the returns that you can make from it are, are very attractive relative to any other asset class out there. Thank you again, Pete. And thank you very much for listening. And we look forward to having you back soon.